Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, located in Beulahville, North Carolina. Our mission at Pathway Church is to turn struggles into stories of God's grace, redemption, and power. We do this by accepting the person of Christ, actualizing the character of Christ, and announcing the message of Christ. Hey everybody, my name is Jennifer, and 16 years ago, right before Christmas, my sister was in a fatal car accident. Obviously, the aftermath of that was just devastating, and it still is to this day. Um, After her accident, our community, our friends, our family, they wrapped us in love. They truly showed us what it means to love one another as you love yourself. 16 years later, when I think about how I feel, I am so grateful that there is a promise and that Jesus gave us the greatest gift He ever could have given us, which is spending eternity um, with our Father in Heaven. I'm grateful for that gift. Um, Of course, there's days that I'm sad and that I miss my sister, but I'm mostly just thankful and appreciative for that wonderful gift that we are promised to spend eternity with our Savior in Heaven. Hi, my name is Teresa Tovar. So January of 2014, my daughters and I tragically lost their father, my husband. And shortly after, we lost my mother. As you can imagine, this was devastating. Since then, we've had to endure a lot of hardships, a lot of tough days, mental and physical health issues. From my daughter being in ICU, for me having a tumor removed, however, We've had some really good, amazing days, and that's all to God. My Father God is so good. He is our provider. He is our protector. He gives us strength. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. And for that, I will forever praise Him. Thank you, Jesus. And I can say, joy does come in the morning. It's amazing to look at these uh, testimonies of faith and what God can bring out of tragedy, but to also see that that we live in a world that obviously has some suffering and difficulty. But if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can find peace in the midst of that. Everybody, and we talked about this last week, at some point in their life, every one of you, will face some sort of struggle, some sort of suffering, some sort of difficulty in life. And the question is, where will you turn in that difficulty, in that struggle? And and, and what will you be able to experience? And I just don't feel that the world has the tools to be able to equip us to experience peace whenever we face those things. Our Christian faith, we said, helps us. And to know that our struggles work for us, that we can find meaning, we can find perspective, and we can even find hope in the midst of all of them. Those are some of the things that we talked about last week. And, um, and, And basically our big point from last week was that our faith in Jesus gives us strength to endure struggles and to know they work for us. 
We talked about David particularly. We talked about meaning. We talked about perspective. But mostly we talked about last week David. And we said that David, even in his life, was able to find meaning in the midst of his struggles. He was able to discover his purpose. He, he, you know, when he was ignored by everybody else, he found that he mattered to God, that his life had a, a, a purpose, it had a meaning. Uh, even in the midst of some of the darkest times of his life, he found that God was using those things to prepare him for the call upon his life. As he was in the wilderness and running from Saul, God was using that to prepare him to become the king of Israel. And I believe that in every struggle you face, God has a, a purpose for that so that you can discover what your meaning is. And more importantly, one of the things we found is not only did we find that David mattered to God, but God mattered to David. We find that as he grew, it actually became the primary thing in his life. He said, only one thing actually really matters to me. And as I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty. And so what we want to look at today particularly is we want to look at how our struggles can actually give us perspective in life. And we're going to look at one of the most tragic stories that you have ever imagined, and that is the story of Job. This is really one of those stories that sometimes I wish wasn't in the Bible there's some really quirky things about the book of Job. We don't even know who wrote it. Some say it's one of the oldest books of the Bible or is the oldest book of the Bible. Uh, a lot of people think that it took place probably about the time of Abraham. And, and we just have no idea, you know, kind of where this book comes from. But it does show us a lot of things about who God is. It shows us, it helps to kind of, uh, I think it's more of a, a way in which God uses to kind of prepare us for the complexities and the seemingly unfair nature of the world we live in. And, uh, and so when we look at Job, I, I, here's the biggest point I want us to kind of draw out from today as we explore how our struggles give us perspective, is our faith in Christ allows our struggles to give us a vertical perspective that prevents a horizontal panic. Any of y'all ever experienced something that caused panic, despair in your life? And there's that time we've got to go back and remind ourselves this isn't for nothing. I know it feels like things are out of control, but God is still on the throne. And we've got to continue to remind ourselves from that. And sometimes as we struggle and things don't go our way and we get frustrated with the way life's going, we need to be reminded that there is another perspective. Now, let's look at Job's story real quick. Here's what I want to go into as we go through Job's story. I just want to kind of do an overview here. It starts out, the book of Job, chapter 1, says there was a man in the land of us. And the Bible declares that this man, and not just the Bible, but even God in the story, it says this man was blameless and upright and feared God. There is, we look at Job and we don't see God say anything about him being Bad. We don't see him anything about Job negatively spoken here. Again, the Bible opens up in the very first verse. Upright, blameless. Verse 8, God says it from his own mouth. Have you considered Job who's upright and blameless? So that's the start of the story. 
And I look at Job almost as like a political or, or religious satire story. In other words, I don't know, and so a lot of people's debate, you know, did this actually happen or is this just kind of a, a parable or an allegory to be able to illustrate something? But I look at Job almost kind of like a, like a, um, like I say, a religious kind of parody kind of thing where, where it's taking all the major arguments of the time and saying, okay, here's why there's suffering and evil and bad things in the world. And it's taking all those arguments and then putting Job in the middle of that and then throwing all those arguments out the window and saying, man's wisdom is insufficient to explain this. And that's what you see. You see Job's friends will eventually come along and they'll try to, extend, they'll try to explain Job's suffering. Well, you're suffering because of this, this, and this, and we'll look at some of that. And essentially at the end of it, it's all thrown out the window, and it says, well, man's wisdom is really insufficient to explain this. So let's just go through this story right here. So we've got Job, land of us, good, upright man. And then all of a sudden, the scene shifts, and we have this vision, this image of a heavenly council. And then you have this image of God and the sons of God coming to God and giving account of everything. And then you have this figure that comes into the picture. We say, we call him Satan. And you look in the Bible, it's actually the Satan, the, the accuser. He comes, and God looks at him and says, you know, what you been doing? He says, well, I've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth, and, you know, things are really kind of going my way, just to be honest. Uh, people are bad. They're evil. They're doing some bad things to one another. And then Job says, or God says, well, have you considered my servant Job, who's blameless? He's upright. And then Satan says, well, that's true. But the only reason he serves you, the only reason he has anything to do with you is because you've been so good to him. You've put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. And you've been so good to him. And God, and it's, and it's weird. It's almost like God and Satan are just having a, a, a they're, they're betting one another which one's going to win, right? And I'm like, this really doesn't seem like the nature of God here. And he says, okay. I'll let you do whatever you want to to him. Just don't touch him. Touch his body. And so, talk about the worst day in the world. Job gets messengers and basically says, all your camels have been stolen, all your livestock destroyed, your servants are gone, I'm the only one that's left to survive to tell you about all this. Oh, and by the way, a storm came, the house collapsed, and all your children are dead. That's what happened to Job. He is, to say the least, upset, distressed, mad probably. But initially, Job responds pretty well. Here's how he responds in verse, this is, now listen, we got 40 some chapters to go through, and so it, it's really just getting started. But he responds after all that, and he says this, Verse 21 and 22, chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's how he initially responded. But that ain't the end. Now, some of us can endure some things. But the thing about the world and the nature about the world is it just keeps coming at you sometimes, don't it? And it just don't stop. And it ain't just the bad things that happen. Sometimes it's the people that surround you that don't seem to help. And this is exactly where Job's at. Because you think things couldn't get worse, and then all of a sudden, God you know, Satan goes back. He says, well, if you let me touch his body, then 
Then he'll curse you. So, boils come on Job's body. So much so he's taking pieces of pottery and scraping those boils off. Even his wife comes to him. And, and sometimes she gets a bad rap, but you got to understand, she's lost her children. She's experienced all this loss too. I mean, let's not be too hard on her. She looks at Job and she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job responds well there. He says, look, we accept good things from God. Why shouldn't we accept adversity from him as well? And so Job keeps on, but then his friends show up. And here's the culmination of basically what his friends do as they show up. And it's actually, now we don't have the perspective of Job. I mean, we don't have, now Job doesn't have our perspective and his friends don't have our perspective. But what they say flies right in the face of what we know to be true about Job already based on what's said. And basically, here's what they say about Job in, uh, in the uh, chapter 4, I believe. They say this. Remember now, whoever perished for being innocent? Or, who were upright, who, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Imagine you're Job, you're sitting there, you've lost everything you have, you're sick, you're in pain, your friends come and surround you, and this is their essential message. Job, you've done something horribly wrong, or this wouldn't be happening to you. And then they go on to explain, you know God is just and he's good, isn't he? If he's just and he's good and you've been good, why would he let this happen to you? And these are some of the same arguments we hear today, bouncing back up, kind of back and forth. Even some of these that would kind of go against Christianity and say, well, if God is good, then why would he let bad things happen? All that kind of thing. Same kind of wisdom we hear kind of today. And so here Job is suffering. And then they go so far, one of them, and I call him the Calvinist friend, he basically says, well, Job, you actually probably deserve much worse, but God's getting, he's just being merciful to you. How do you think Job feels after hearing this? And there are people even today that would suggest that the reason Job is suffering in this is still his fault. It may not be a sin that he committed, but I've heard some people bring up, I think it's 3 verse 25, where it talks about that thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And they think that what the reason Job is suffering is because metaphysically he has kind of put out some bad vibes out into the universe. So therefore, because of you know those bad vibes he's put out, those bad negative thoughts, he's reaping negative consequences. Don't believe that. What does the Bible say about Job? blameless, upright, feared God. Again, this story is told to take the wisdom of the world, the understanding of how we think things work and why people suffer and why good things or bad things happen to good people. It's, take, it's, it's, it's intended to kind of turn all of that up on its head and show you, you really don't know what's going on in here. Finally, what ends up happening is this guy, it's a strange figure. Some have even suggested maybe this was the author of the book. Elihu shows up, and, and he doesn't really accuse Job, but he kind of gives some general answers as to why we might suffer. And he basically says, maybe we suffer so that God can build character. 
Maybe we suffered so that God can teach us something. And he gives kind of those kind of general answers. But, and, and, and this is the frustrating thing to me about the book of Job as I go through this. The frustrating thing about the book of Job to me is that some of what his friends have to say is true. Sometimes you do reap what you sow, right? Some of the things that Job's friends have to say is true. And some of the things they say is echoed in the New Testament. And so where the, the problem we have is that there's just such a, a clear and concise application of that truth, they don't take into consideration all the complexities of life. They, they, they really just want to be cut and dry and have simple answers. And I wish life was like that. But all of y'all know life isn't like that, is it? And so here we are with these people that are telling Job what his problem is. And it's amazing how people are experts on your problems, right? What his problem is, why he's going through, what he's going through, and all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden... Here it is that we look at them and we say, well, you know, really, he's got a good point here. The thing is, they're making presumptions about things they know any, don't know anything about. And the other thing is, their conclusions are not true about Job. Now, again, they don't have the insight we do of hindsight and Scripture itself telling us who Job is and that he was a good man. But they're making all these inferences. And they're wrong. Job continues to persist. Hey, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. In essence, agreeing with what God has said. But yet he still continues to suffer. He still continues to struggle. And he comes, he's kind of up and down emotionally as all of us would, right? God, I can't believe you would let this happen. Oh, but God, I know, I know you're good and I know you're right and just and all that kind of stuff. And then God, I wish I had never been born, but God, I know, I know, I know you're doing something. You know, anybody ever felt like that emotionally? It's like, you know, I know God is good, but I don't feel like it right now. I know things ought to be working out a little bit differently, but I know somehow God's got it. And, and, and there's just almost a, there's this duplicity within him, and he's kind of back and forth emotionally. He's just really having a hard time with this. And you can tell that as you read through the book. But finally, after everybody has said their piece and everybody has given Job advice, finally God shows up. And here's where I'm in the book. I'm like, yes, we're going to get some answers for Job. I'm so excited. Thank you, God, for finally showing up and giving Job some answers, maybe giving his heart some peace, doing something, right? But here's how God shows up. Verse, chapter 38, he shows up and he says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now, you got to understand, Job's been up and down emotionally. He's, all, he's come very close to accusing God of being unjust. And then he's kind of pulled back right before he got into that. And he said, no, no, I know you're not. And he's kind of gone back and forth. And then God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words of knowledge? Now, prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? That, that to, what, to what were its foundations fastened? 
Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And then he goes on like the verse 12 and he says, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And then he goes on like, a, like verse 30 something. He says, Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? And he goes through all of this, and he, and he goes from this massive grandeur of creation down to the most minute details of nature. He even talks about how wild uh, goats give birth and all that kind of stuff. And he, he goes through all of creation, and he basically says, Job, do, do you have, have any idea how all of this works? Are you able to take and align the stars and move them in place and all that kind of stuff and set them where they're supposed to be? Are you able to make sure the sun comes up every morning like it's supposed to? Are you able to kind of measure out the oceans like I am in my hand and tell the ocean, hey, stop here and don't go any further? Are you able to do any of that, Job? Can you understand how any of that works? How the earth just kind of hangs there in space? Can you tell me about how all that works? And I know we got science and stuff that tells us a little bit about that science stuff, but they're still ignorant on a lot of things. Listen, Job, when he encounters God, his response is one that should be very, very telling to us. Here's how Job responds. God gets through in chapters 38 and 39. Here's what Job says. Behold, I am vile. What shall I say to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yet twice, but I will not proceed any further. God shows up and he says, where were you, Job? Can you tell me how all this works? Can you tell me how, how, how everything's just kind of working in conjunction? How, how, can you tell me how the earth works? And Job, after he sees the grandeur and the glory and the majesty of God, says, oh, I better close my mouth. Mm -mm. And he said, I, I spoke once, and then I, and then I endeavored to keep on speaking, but I won't do it no more, Lord. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but where's the answer to your suffering, Job? Because in all that, God still didn't tell Job what was going on. you got to understand, Job doesn't know anything about this heavenly council or anything like that. He doesn't know anything about that. He, he, he has no idea of the grander plan of God. And I think that was the point of the, the whole thing in 38. And then finally, he just... As he encounters God, he says, I better put my hand on my mouth and not say another thing. And then after that, we get this like, like, a, like a kind of a side little uh, poem or uh, story or whatever where it talks about these two things called Leviathan and Behemoth. Y'all probably heard of those, and there's a lot of debate about whether these are real animals or mythical animals or all that kind of stuff. The point of all both of those and I think this is really instructive for you and I. The point of both of those little stories where he talks about, you know, he takes the Leviathan, you know, which is untamable, and I put a hook in that Leviathan, and then I, you know, I take and I cut it into pieces, and I use it for what I wanted to use it for. And all. I mean, the point of all that is that those things are majestic and chaotic. And God says, I take and I create purpose out of chaos. That's what the point of that Leviathan, that behemoth little chapter is right at the end after Job kind of gives his response. And then God says, let me, let me show you about, let me tell you about behemoth and let me tell you about Leviathan. And God basically says, what I'm doing is I'm bringing order 
out of chaos. And I know in your life, sometimes things seem chaotic. But we, through our faith in Jesus Christ, can trust that God can bring order out of chaos. If you don't remember anything else I tell you today, remember that. No matter how chaotic your life may be, read about the Leviathan and and how that that beast is and how untamable that beast is and how how, how just intimidating that beast is. God says, I tame it. Your life feels like that sometimes. It's untamable. It's chaotic. It's crazy. And you're like, why in the world is all this going on? And God says, I can take and create order out of the chaos of your life. Now, there are some general answers as to why we struggle in life. We could talk about our sins, maybe our own personal sins, the sins of others. We could talk about maybe it is character building. God is using it to shape us and to mold us, and I talk about that a lot. Or we could talk about the fact that, you know, the righteous do suffer persecution. There are reasons we suffer and we struggle. But I can't all the time point to your suffering, your struggle, and say, that's the reason. And that was the mistake Job's friends were making here. So that leads me to these three lessons. One. In the midst of your struggle, there's more going on than you realize. Job does not see the beginning of the story where Satan comes before the throne of God. And God asks, have you considered my servant? Job has no idea that went on. And the fact is, you and I live surrounded by a spiritual reality. And there are dark forces that seek our destruction. That is exactly what the book of Ephesians tells us. There are powers and principalities that are surrounding us that that want to kill, to steal, and to destroy you. They want to destroy what God is doing in you. They want to thwart the plan of God for your life. That's the reality in which we live. But I thank God that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that we are seated with Him in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named in the heavens, and that God, in the midst of your life, can bring order out of chaos. Right? There is more going on spiritually than you and I realize. And the quicker we realize that, the better. In addition to that, the world's far more complex than we realize. Look at Job 38 and 39. There's all kinds of things going on here. There are people making all kinds of bad decisions and choices that affect other people negatively. And we have to live within that, in the context of that world. And Job's friends' answers simply are, not, are, are too simple to deal with the complexities of the world we live in. And that's what God is getting at. There aren't just easy, quick answers. The other thing we are reminded, too, is this world is not just about you. Man, how often? I've been tempted this week to feel that way. How often are we tempted to just make the world about me, my happiness, my comfort, my joy? And so the world has to revolve around me. And I I, listen, every one of us know this mentally, but the world is not just about you. There are other things going on. And this is important because what it does is it keeps us humble when we realize there's more going on than we know. It keeps us humble, it keeps us receptive, and it keeps us teachable. And that leads me to the second one. 
Here's the second lesson. Take it to God. Job chapter 13, verse 3 says this, and I love what it has to say here. I think we got it up here. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. This is the most important point that I want to make this morning. Job has just sat under each one of his friends pointing their finger at him, saying, this is your fault. Job, if you would just repent, maybe your suffering will be lessened. Whatever. And I'm sure the temptation for Job is to just accept their worldly advice. But I love what Job does. He keeps pressing. I know what you had to say, Eliphaz. I know what you had to say, Zardoz or whatever, whatever the other one's name is. Zardoz is a bad movie from the 70s, I think. I know what you had to say. But I, I want to hear from God. Right? And I love the way Job was not satisfied with the answers of his friends. And every one of us would be tempted to do that. We want a book that says three ways to overcome grief. Or five ways to rediscover joy. And, and I'm not saying there's not some benefit in some of that. But at some point, we have to not allow ourselves to be satisfied with the wisdom of the world. And we have to be determined that we're going to press into the presence of God. And we want to hear what God has to say to me about my situation. And here Job is. He says, I would speak to the Almighty. I want to reason with God. I know what y'all God's got to say. I understand what the world has to say about my situation. I know that there are fixes to this, but I want to talk to God about this. Tim Mackey said this. He said, that's the right way to process suffering, through the struggle of prayer. In sincere prayer... And I'm not talking about just a prayer to get an answer. You get a vision of God. And let me tell you this. That's enough. Y'all need to say amen to that. Sometimes you don't get an answer. But you get God. You get to talk to God. And that's enough. That's more than enough. And so at the end of the story, there is a happy conclusion. God talks to Moses, or I mean to Job. God talks to him. And sometimes that's where we have to get to the point was, hey, I don't need just an answer. I need God. I need to know Him personally. I need to hear His voice. I need to know His presence is with me. I've got to feel Him and know He is real and that He is active in my life, that He hasn't forgotten me. And I'm telling you, that is enough. No matter what you're going through, that's enough. Listen to this quote. This is a quote I found from a guy named Christopher Morley. I don't even know who he is. He said, I had a million questions to ask God, but when I met Him, they all fled my mind and they didn't seem to matter. I wish I could get to that place sometimes. 
I wish I could get to that place where I, I just came face to face with the Lord and all the questions and all the concerns and all the frustrations that I had with life and the way things work would just disappear from my mind like, wow, this is more than I needed. That's where we need to be. And that leads me to this final point here. There are sometimes no easy answers or quick fixes. Oh, I wish there was. And the world's full of them. The world's full of all these formulas that tell you how your problems can be fixed. And don't get me wrong, there are some, there's some benefit to some of that. But Job never really gets an answer to his problem. He's not even told about the heavenly council, that Satan showed up, that there was a desire to sift him and all that kinds of thing, all those kinds of things. Job's friends express some, some sort of truth, but their wisdom falls way short of God's wisdom. And Job suffered and he struggled. He's all over the place emotionally. At some points, he's like, I wish I'd never been born. Then he even gets to the point where he's like, he gets very close to calling God unjust. And then he'll, he'll get to the point, too, where he, he, actually, he actually says God's being a bully to him. You're picking on me, God. I can't believe you would do this. But then he get right to that point where he would think, oh, he's about to give up. And he'd pull himself back and he'd say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him for myself and not another person, but I'll see God. And I'm going to tell you, that's, that's the hard thing about struggling and suffering and difficulties in life. It's to kind of keep pressing and to the truth and the knowledge of God. Yes, I'm going to fluctuate from time to time. Yes, I'm going to be upset with God and the way things have worked out. I'm going to be frustrated about how things are going. And I may even tell God about it. But then the Holy Spirit's be there to pull me back. And I say, but I know. I know. This is the way I feel, but I know this. Right? And some of us have, and we're at that point sometimes, I feel like this, but, but i got to be reminded. But I know this. I feel like this is true, and I'm frustrated by this, but I know God is good, right? I feel like life is chaotic, and that things are out of control, but I know all things work together for good to those who have a purpose, right? And, and I feel angry and frustrated that things are not going the way I want to, but at the same time, I know that He that keeps His people never sleeps nor He slumbers, Right? And we have to keep doing that and pulling ourselves back. And some of you have experienced that. As we looked at these stories and people who have lost loved ones unexpectedly in tragedy, there are times, I'm sure, emotionally, you're all over the place. and like, I can't believe you allow this to happen, God. But then you had to go back and say, but I know. Right? Some people got that diagnosis and they weren't expecting that. And they're like, I don't know if my, if, is my life about to end. And, and you say, does God not know what's going on? Is he, is he up there trying to figure things out and, and he hadn't quite got it figured out yet? And then you say, nah, I know. I know he's sovereign. And listen, this is not an easy path to walk. If it was, everybody would walk it. But this is the path that we have as Christians. And if we continue to keep pressing and refuse to be satisfied with the wisdom of the world, keep pressing and say, listen, I know there's some wisdom in some of the things people say, but I need more than just that. I, I need to get a hold of God. I need to get a hold. And that is the place 
where you can find peace. And that is the place where you can say, I'll hush my mouth. I won't say anything else. You're right, God. Your wisdom's far above mine. And I'm going to rest in that. And that's where you find peace. See how your struggles give you a different perspective? All of a sudden, Job is transported out of his struggles to see the world's bigger than him. And that even though life seems chaotic, God can make order out of the chaos. There's a book on prayer by Philip Yancey. And he talked about prayer like climbing a mountain. And he said, you know, sometimes climbing that mountain is hard. Maybe it's a little longer than you thought, a little steeper than you thought. He said, but then finally, you get to the top of that mountain. And you look, and you see the world from a whole new perspective. And at the top of that mountain, you find that peace and that joy. And I want to encourage every one of you to engage in that kind of struggle. I want to tell you to keep taking your plea to God and trust Him because He brings order out of chaos. If you will, please stand.